Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Georgia Tech, 28-22. It wasn't pretty. Robbie, give us a cheers. Well, let's stick with basketball. How's that? So yeah. uh, we played uh, Citadel and put up a, another 100-point game. This offense is exciting as hell to watch, and... I know people are a little bit perturbed uh, or at least concerned and somewhat about how many points we're giving up in these games, but my understanding is Citadel is usually a pretty high-scoring offense on their own right and doesn't play a ton of D, so it's not surprising how things ended up, but the basketball program is fun to watch, high-scoring games, and let's hope it uh, it continues. I think we have, what, coming up St. Louis, uh, I believe, uh, in, in the tournaments yep, that's, that's coming up. Yeah, so um, it's been awesome, and you know, Buzz with his long hair has gotten us into a real offensive swagger, and I like it. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, they're two and zero, averaging hundred and twenty-one points, just about without Justin Bibbs. So, uh, without our best three-point shooter and one of the few seniors. Putting up some points. Yeah, the Citadel does run a high tempo and chooses not to play very much defense. So I wouldn't get too 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 excited over that win, but 132 points is unheard of. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was points. our second. I think it's the second highest of all time. So I don't yeah. care who you're playing. I mean, so, you know, we've that played them before. That takes something to do that. Exactly. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, the freshman, he's averaging 26.5 points per game through our first two. Blackshear... 22 and a half and 10 and a half boards per game. Yep. Uh, St. Louis, like you said, is up next. That's in Madison Square Garden, the Billikens. Uh, do you know what a Billiken is, by the way, Robbie? No. Is it close to a Pelican? Or well, is it... have you, well, have you ever seen it? They have like a that face. It's like a cherubic uh, charm <laughs> doll face. That's what they were. Turn of the 20th century, Billikens were like a fad. They were little charm dolls, and they kind of look like elves. And that's what they named uh, their team after because their coach apparently looked like one. They're, <laughs> they're little spirit. They're, so they're little spirit animals? Okay. Yeah, they're like nymphs or gnomes or elves or I don't know, something <laughs> so like that. So they turn you to stone when they, you they're look at you. They're supposed to be good luck. Like they, they were good luck charms, essentially. Or they steal your underwear like in South Park, like the South Park gnomes. So <laughs> right. got it. Uh, right. If we win that one, we'll face uh, Providence, which that would actually be a really tough matchup. Providence is... A team like us that's probably just outside the top twenty-five in the next group of ten teams or so. So it would be it would be cool if we could win that one and then play them on Friday. Hopefully that's the case. Let's move on to football. The UVA game time was set eight p.m. on Black Friday. That reminds me of the game three years ago, the twenty fourteen eight p.m. game that we needed to get into a bowl. I I remember watching that in my mother's living room after Thanksgiving and just screaming at the television. I think she thought I was a lunatic. Well, you are you are a lunatic well, when it comes true. to football. So D- that game, though, uh, I like the fact that it's on Friday because then you have all of Saturday to watch the other games. Some people aren't as keen on that, but I think the eight p.m. game time, a lot of people will be watching. Uh, that's always good for the program. Hopefully, it's good in the way that we win as well. The next thing I have is we fell out of the coaches poll and the AP poll and the committee rankings just came out a couple of minutes ago 
and we're out of those two. So three for three and falling out of the rankings. I think we were 26th, uh, if you want to call it that, because we were the first receiving votes in both the AP and the coaches. You don't have any of that insight with regard to the committee where we would have fallen, but we couldn't have been too far outside that top 25. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And we don't deserve to be ranked. I mean, you can make yeah. an argument of whether it's us or another three lost team that should be in or out, but who really gives a gives a shit, right? We got three losses, we're out. And now try and win our last couple games and see what happens. Yeah, I you could say two of our games back-to-back on the road, one against a top-10 team and the, the third loss against Clemson, and we beat a pretty good West Virginia team and a decent BC team. You could put us in there and it would be warranted, and you could not put us in there and it could be warranted. Yeah, I mean, uh, we do. Our losses are for, against number two and number three now. So Clemson's yeah. number two and Miami's number three. So you, I don't think anybody in the country has of the if there any three team any three loss team in the country has two better losses than us. Is I think it's actually impossible for anybody else to have it. It is what it is. Hopefully, we can win our next couple games and get back into those rankings. I also have some sad news. Terrell Edmonds, done for the season. He's having shoulder surgery. If anyone's been watching the games, you can see that he's wearing some kind of brace. It's been on since the West Virginia game. It's been a nagging shoulder thing for him all year. And whatever happened in the GT game, I guess he just decided it was time to get it fixed and get right for next year. Uh, It's definitely a hit to a secondary that's already seen Divine Diablo go out. And Adonis missed a handful of games uh, for various reasons, and right now with the hammy. So let's just hope that um, who's ever stepping up is ready for these next two games because that's that's a big loss. Yeah, uh, it's a huge loss. And then there was you and I were just talking about um, you know Luke Reynolds, and there was a rumor going around that he was he was hurt um, and going to be out. It's unclear whether he's hurt, but at least he practiced today. So uh, the season, I would say, is starting to catch up with us a little bit here in terms of injuries. And, um, you know, we have uh, a couple games left on the schedule that are pretty important, so it's not great timing. Yeah, when you consider what we've had on the offensive side with Peoples and C.J. Carroll and Nijman, and you start throwing in the secondary situation – uh, it's it's starting to pile up. We had really good injury luck last year, and this year it, it's starting to not be so good. Yeah, the first um, half of the season was pretty good, actually, and I think I was surprised by how lucky we had gotten, and now the wheels are really falling off pretty quickly, and I think it's showing... Um, I think I think it's showing that we, we don't necessarily have the depth to, to handle that kind of when you start to look at who's coming in um you know it'll be good those guys will get playing time and we'll start to build some depth for depth for next season but we're pretty thin at a lot of positions fortunately safety was one of the positions where we did have a little depth uh Mm -hmm. so we'll have Khalil Adler getting in there now we still have Dion Newsom who can play some safety and uh obviously the five-star four-star recruit Devin Hunter uh, he's not a free safety. He's supposed to be the rover of the future, but he could probably play some snaps at something back there if they need to, you know, sw- swap guys around or whatever else. Does he? And I'm an idiot and blanking on this. Have they have they pulled his redshirt yet? I guess. Well, he's been playing. 
on special um, teams. Special, stuff, he's he, gone, he, he's been in on special teams. Okay. He's had some nagging injuries himself. Uh, that's one right when he got to campus, and then I guess a couple throughout the season. I mean, we all thought he was going to be a contributor this year, and that would be one of the things we haven't really talked about much is just the disappointment that we haven't seen much of Devin Hunter like making an impact. But he's he is a true freshman. He didn't come in in spring, so it's sometimes that's to be expected. They're not going to get on the field that much, especially at this position, which I just said we had decent depth until just recently. The last thing I'm going to hit is positive. Linebacker Keyshawn Artis out uh, of Oscar Smith in Chesapeake committed to the Hokies today. It's a big commitment, four-star on both 247 and ESPN. And a lot of people think he's just as good as Dax Hollifield or just a notch below in terms of a prospect. Dax Hollifield is a big-time linebacker recruit out of North Carolina. I think he's in the top 100 on almost every service. Artis is in the top 250. So if you're going to go by the major services, he's kind of just one step behind. But a lot of people love him, and this is really great for our linebacking core and the depth. Uh, and if we were to get him and Dax, that would be even better. So this is this is a really nice commitment. Yeah, especially we got, you know, we're getting up there in terms of, uh, you know, uh, Moto's going to be heading out pretty soon. You know, if he is going to end up playing linebacker, it's good to start building some depth there right now. Um, and he's also a seven five seven guy, which is nice. The more oh, that we good. can, we start to build that trend of getting those guys, you know, pipelined back to Virginia Tech. The better off we'll be in the long run, for sure. All right, let's hop into this GT game recap. I don't want to, but we have to talk about a couple of things beyond just what happened in the game uh, and going forward what it might mean. But despite GT just missing a TD on their first play, we got off to a decent start in this game. Uh, Three and out for GT right off the bat. Then we got a field goal, so we're up. Georgia Tech answer with a touchdown off to the long run by Cottrell. That was really annoying. Then soon after came the first coaching debacle of the day, which was the fourth and two at the Georgia Tech eight. And we brought in A.J. Bush to run the play at the goal line. There was some motion before the snap. It didn't look right from the beginning. And we ended up losing three yards on the fourth down play. Could have made it seven and seven to six with a field goal, but we chose not to. Late in the second quarter, Georgia Tech put an 11-play TD drive together that went 79 yards. That made it 14-3. to And thankfully, McMillan answered with the big return, and Savoy ran it in on one play after the P.I. call in the end zone. So at that point, we were 14-9, to and that was the second thing, where we decided to go for two at 14-9. to uh, I'm not sure why you would do that at that point in the game. It didn't really make sense to me again. But we will talk about the coaching stuff at the end. So it's 14-9 to at the half. Uh, early in the third quarter, GT scores another touchdown on the 60-yard pass from Marshall. That was on a third and 18 play, by the way. <laughs> so that was 21-9. to We finally answered with a 12-play 74-yard drive, ending with a TD to Holston as the third quarter expired. But on that drive, the Kuma catch, <laughs> I don't want to get your reaction on this, was so lucky. And without it, that drive goes nowhere. Yeah, it was it was a complete arm punt, and we'll get into it. But that is that is the moment when you saw 
desperation come from Josh Jackson, where he wasn't he wasn't comfortable in the pocket, he wasn't comfortable in what he was seeing. There were open slant routes that if you watch the game again, you'll see that he was not seeing at all wide open, you know, slant routes of people crossing the middle. And he just felt like that was that was the poker, you know, version of you're the low chip count at the table. And then you just have to put it all in. And he was pressing at that point because that was horrific. And I I was so surprised that that wasn't an interception by either of those defensive backs. It was complete luck. And it was an incredible catch by Kuma off the helmet of one of those Georgia Tech receivers. His reaction time to snag that thing was amazing. Yeah. So we were down 21-16 after that Holston touchdown. Midway through the fourth quarter, Marshall threw the awful pick six to Stroman, and we went for two again and missed it. At that point, it kind of made sense because we would have been up by three, and you had already screwed yourself up. But anyway, it was 22-21 to Virginia Tech at that point. The very next drive, GT gets the 80-yard pass this time to Ricky June. That was, I think, three plays or something. It's 28-22. And we had a chance to win on our last drive. Third and one, and then a fourth and one with just over a minute to play. We threw it to Cam in the end zone. He couldn't bring it in, and the game was over. Yeah. <laughs> There's so, so much uh, more to it than just that, obviously. No, it, it felt... Uh, well, we can get into the details, but yeah. it, it felt in the first half, you probably got the same feeling I did. It felt like a game we were going to lose. Even when it was close, it just it just had all the inclinations. In fact, the score is much closer than the actual game felt when I watched. Yeah. We were getting dismantled by Georgia Tech, and the fact that we were in it was... Well, part of it was luck. I mean, <laughs> quite frankly, well, if you look at... If you think about just that, they could have scored a touchdown on their first play. The guy was streaking right down the middle of the field wide open, and and he just threw it too far. The pick Miss- six to Stroman was so bad, and com- just a complete brain fart, or I don't know what, maybe it slipped out of his hand, but that's a defensive touchdown, so that's a 14-point swing if both those things go Georgia Tech's way. And then the catch by Kuma, which led to a touchdown, that was completely lucky. So and and the missed field goal. There's another <laughs> three. You... Right. So what are we up to? We're up to like 24 points that Georgia Tech could could have won by and by an increased margin. Sure, there was a couple plays that we could have maybe done something too, but it wasn't like Georgia Tech's misses. Like that game. You're right. It was not close. We were extremely lucky to be in it and had a chance to win. And let's get into those coaching decisions because. And we'll start from the back to the front because I want to talk about the third and one and fourth and one. So on third and one with around a minute to play, you think, I was thinking, let's up the gut with Josh or McMillan and just get this first down. Does that concur with what you were thinking? It was the stupidest play call I've seen. And I'm not a genius when it comes to play calling. It was the dumbest call I've seen. So in instead, a long time. they did the back shoulder pass to Kuma or something, I think it was. Right. And, and it went watched- way out of bounds. Yeah. Let me let me run a couple stats by you. Since I told you I was going to pull this together, I do all the past stats, so I already have it. All right, so um, we have a third and one and a fourth and one, right? Let's just combine those into what ended up happening at the end of that game. Um, so far, we have... So uh, this year, we have 29 plays that had one yard to go or 
or fewer. There was actually one that we were, it was like the two inch line, whatever. We rushed on 23 of those plays and we've passed on six of those plays. The six includes the two from Georgia, Georgia Tech, right? So of the 23, of the 23 rushes, um, how many do you think that we got the first down on? So just if you had to throw out a guess. Mm, 17? 20. 20 of 23 times. 87% of the time we got the first down. Now, if you that's including second downs as well. So I just went and ran it again on just third and fourth down. Our success rate was eighty one percent. That is ridiculous. Four out of five times we can got we got the first down with one yard to go. On the four passes prior to this game, we were successful three times and failed once. Two of those were on second down, which makes sense. Okay, I get it. The two that were on third down, we got one and we failed one time. Overall, just run the fucking ball. Right. Just get get the first down. At what point as any as an offensive minded coach? And I get that he saw something on the field or Brad saw something on the field that I'm not seeing. But guess what? Isn't it better to have four downs just to to make sure that you get a couple shots at it? Because, yes, the Cam Phillips pass was one yard from perfection. But if that gets knocked down on a first down, guess what? We still had two timeouts left, and that's the, actually we would have had three timeouts left because we burned one right after the third down. So it was the stupidest play calling that I've seen in a long time. I don't want to get too angry about it, but yeah, I almost threw my remote. I almost had to buy a new 70-inch TV because I almost launched my you know remote right through it because we, we have had tremendous success getting the first down on, on in that scenario. Yeah. And I'm not saying this in defense of the calls because I thought they were bad. I wanted to just run up the middle, just run, period, whatever design you want to use. Get the first down on third. I don't I don't know why you're putting it to fourth down. And if you are going to gamble and throw on third, that's the down to throw deep, not on fourth. Like if you want to take a shot because you think we got fourth down, we're just going to run up the middle and get it on fourth Let's go deep and see if we can score quick. I'm cool with that. The reverse makes no sense to me. And throwing an out pattern on third and one in a critical spot when how many times, like Josh hitting those passes, it, it, it's not it's a, not a high percentage pass. Let me put it that way. No, and it, it was really poorly thrown too. So the whole thing just was terrible. He was uh, inaccurate all day. So yeah. on long passes, anything, his... Let's put it this way. So that pass, well, I don't want to go into every stat, but whatever. His passes from 10 yards and beyond, right, which that was, is the was the lowest in this game that it has been all year. And guess what? You know, the other times that it was that low, his, his completion percentage beyond 10 yards in this game um, was 38% uh, or 36%. Or no, 27%. It was 36 against Miami and 38 against Duke, which they were the second and third lowest beyond 10 yards passing. It's getting so worse. Downfield. So it's getting worse. Those are the last three games. So that that was not... Uh, even if even if you saw something on the field, Josh is not in a place right now that you're trying to throw a 10-plus yard pass to try and win a game. And Fuente has always said that their goal is to put our players in a position to make it easier to win. We put ourselves in a position to make it harder to win, and that 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 pisses me off. So we also had that not kicking the field goal on fourth down inside the ten yard line in the first quarter. 
And Fuente seems to have this thing about Georgia Tech where he keeps saying, you don't know how many possessions you're going to get. You don't know how often you're going to be down there. And that's why he felt he had to go for the touchdown. I don't understand that. It's the first quarter. It's points. And we weren't on the two. We were on the eight, I believe. And it was just two to go. So, like, you're not going to score a touchdown even if you convert it. I I don't know. It just... It just seemed to me that that's just a spot in a game where points are at a premium to kick the field goal. And so he doesn't do that. And then you have to chase the points the entire rest of the game. Yeah. And the the 14 to 9, like when we scored that touchdown and didn't kick a field goal then or an extra point, that made no sense to me either. I, like I know it puts you within three, but it's again, it was early. I, I, don't, I don't know. It just didn't yeah. make sense to me. He got into his own head and it's... All these things are get it. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But before the game, you and I talked about this. Before the game, he made a statement that they played somebody in a triple off a triple option offense when he was offensive coordinator at TCU, and he mentioned it during the presser leading up to Georgia Tech. And he said, "I've never felt that type of pressure going up against a triple option where you don't know how many times you're going to get possession of the ball," and I think last year and I think this year we're psyching ourselves out before we even go into the game before the, you know, before kickoff, we're already starting to psych ourselves out about, Oh no, how many possessions are we going to get? And it's absolutely true. I tweeted out in the first half after we finished up, I was like, we only have five more possessions left in the game. I was wrong. We only had four more possessions in the game. So (laughs) I, I was joking like, and using a low number, but it was even lower than that. I think it was four possessions we got in the second half. Um, and so I understand that, but those five points between not kicking the, the field goal, um, or whatever, I guess it was four, it would have been. No, it's, it ended up being five because yeah, not five, kicking the field five. goal, going for two and missing, and then going for two again and missing. Yeah, which would have changed completely the entire game because we were within field goal range. It may have been a little bit of a long field goal, right. but it changes everything. We would have been kicking a field goal to win instead of throwing, um, you know, instead of rushing in the third down, which I don't think was the right decision, and then the fourth down, whatever. I. I I don't care about the fourth down toss to Cam Phillips, even though Cam, you know, didn't really do much in this game. I think he only had eight yards and he had two receptions and one was for zero yards and the other one was for eight. So he wasn't really on his game that day anyway. But I didn't really care about the fourth down as much as the third down. That pissed me off. Well, and that's the thing is if we had been down 28-27 at that point, Fuente's going to run it on third down, or we're going to do something a little bit more conservative because we know we have a field goal shot, and we might have actually kept driving down the field. We couldn't do that because he didn't kick the field goal early on. Like He kept compounding the problem. And I understand the thing about the possessions, but you still just have to make smart decisions. You can't become irrational just because you're so worried about the possessions. You don't know what's going to happen in the game. That's right. And think about it. You don't know what's going to happen in the game. They fumble that one, the punt, and we almost got possession of it. You know, things Why couldn't can... we fall on those fumbles? There was like two or three fumbles that looked like we had four guys around it, didn't come up with any of them. I don't understand what was going on there. I was I was blown away. So, you know, I've I've gotten I've gotten over the negative sides of it. I think, you know, for me, 
there were a couple positives to take out of it, but really it was mostly just from a couple of the defensive guys. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, there, there's not a whole lot positive. I, I wrote down maybe three or four things. Do you want to f- finish out just – I had a couple of things I just wanted to mention. One is the offensive line. I think you, me and you talked about this. Josh, he didn't play well, but he had little time to throw, on, and he got forced out of the pocket a lot of times, particularly in the second half. I don't know how they only had two sacks and three hurries because it seemed like Josh was under – pressure all day we also only ran for about 100 yards against this team which you should be able to put up more than 100 yards rushing against georgia tech 250 yards total i think was what we had we haven't gone over 400 yards now in four or five games and i know that nijman's not playing and i know that Osterlaw is having to play out of position because of it but when Osterlaw is in there we have four senior offensive linemen playing starting Four seniors against Ted Roof Georgia Tech defense. You should be able to give your quarterback some time and to open up a couple holes with four seniors. I I don't care like that. Like play better. Just play better. That yeah. I don't care what the injury situation is. You have four three hundred pound men playing offensive line against Ted Roof's Georgia Tech defense. You got to be better. Yeah, it was absolutely terrible. And you got a freshman quarterback that the seniors need to be there to protect him. So if he's not having a good game, especially now, and you could see Josh Jackson, like I said before, there were open open receivers that he was not seeing because he was so he was in his own head. He was seeing ghosts even when he was getting pressured. There was only that one play that he stepped up into the pocket. Um, and felt like he, and even that, he had somebody pull on his shirt while he was stepping up into the pocket. And the, the only one pass did he do that. He's seeing ghosts. That's the time that the seniors need to buckle down and take care of a freshman quarterback and at least put it on him, allow him to make the passes. But if if he's shitting himself because he thinks he's going to get sacked every play or he's going to get hit and fumble the ball or whatever the case that's on the senior offensive line to to kind of help him, right? You know, to man up and give him some time. And that didn't happen. In fact, he had more time towards the beginning of the game. And as the game went on, because I just watched it, as the game went on, the offensive line got worse and worse. It didn't get better throughout the game. They protected him worse as he, and I understand that they were slow developing plays and he wasn't seeing the field as well, but... Man, yeah, four seniors, and that looked like trash. Did Josh Jackson have a bad day? Absolutely. Has he regressed a little bit once now? You know, now that we're in ACC competition, absolutely. The stats show it. His completion percentage shows it. Everything, but the offensive line hasn't been much better. Yeah, we don't have a whole lot more time to spend on GT. So let's let's get to some of the good stuff before we uh, give our thoughts and take a beer break. I thought the fact that we had two TD runs, both by true freshmen, was kind of interesting. And Savoy's run in particular was probably our nicest play of the game. Uh, I mean, the Stroh interception was sweet. But that Savoy, like, cutting back across and making the extra effort to get into the end zone, it was one of the few examples of someone on our team actually making a freaking play. Yeah. Like, he made a play. He made something happen. Made people miss and scored. 
And it was refreshing to see that. I thought that TD run by Savoy was pretty sweet. Savoy is absolutely reminiscent of the thoughts that we had around Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips, their freshman year. He is extremely talented, and I love that we're going to have him for a while um, these next few years because he's producing, and he's one of the few people on the offense right now because people are locking down on Cam Phillips, I'm assuming, that that's really producing on that side of the ball. There was the nice game by Kuma. Despite the lucky catch, he still had you know six total, 82 yards. McMillan had the return, the interception we talked about. Shagag. He played a nice, solid game. Three tackles for loss and 11 total tackles. That was good to see a defensive player making some plays because there wasn't too much on the defense that was like a real bright spot with those blown coverages and the fact that Marshall threw, what, completed two passes, 60-yard touchdown, 80-yard touchdown? Yeah. They had 400 – Georgia Tech had 401 yards of offense – uh, 209 of those yards came off of three plays, the 80-yard pass, the 60-yard pass, and the 69-yard run. So overall, we were doing what we would expect against the triple option, except for those two over-the-top passes, which will befuddle me till you know the yeah. end of my days. Uh, over-the-top on a third, third and 18 was beautiful in a way that makes me want to throw up everywhere. Uh, but... Other than that, it wouldn't have been that ugly of a, a game. Even the 69-yard you know, yard run, Georgia Tech, I think, is like they showed it up on the screen, third in the in the nation on long kind of rushing um, uh, rush plays. So the 69-yard run, I can understand. The 80-yard pass and the 60-yard pass, that's 140 yards of offense. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And, yeah. by the way, the way that um, they – you know, I think Bud said going into the game that they judge themselves on defense is around 250 yards. Like if they can keep it around that of of rush defense, which you know if that's pretty close, I think probably to where they ended up. And it was really the pass defense that let us down. That 80 yard yeah. and the 60 yard. Yeah, there was just so many little bad things that in the game, like. Our third down percentage, we were 4 of 15 on third down um, and just 2 of 4 on fourth down, which we've already talked about. Those were kind of big fourth downs. Uh, The dumb mook penalty, our defense being on the field for GT's fake punt and them still getting it, that was frustrating. That was not great. (laughs) Well, and to to your point, the one last note that I had and and then I'm pretty much done with this game is um, Paul Johnson and those – I and the cut blocks are just outrageous. I mean, Tim Settle took two of them. He was on the sideline twice um, that I saw. I, I think there were at least six to seven players that had to go out on the low cut blocks, which, yeah, cut block is legal, chop block is not, but it's still basically just going after people's knees. I mean, that's all you're attempting to do. Moto took one early. I think it was in the early in the second quarter that he kind of shook off, but he was not feeling great after that one. It's just such it's such a dangerous game playing against them um, that I hope somebody spear tackles Paul Johnson like just really, really, really hard one day. Yeah, it is not it is not fun to watch. And uh, we said that in our podcast and it held true and we lost and it stinks. All is not lost for the season. 
we knew these two games were going to be really tough. You know, they were two back-to-back on-the-road games, and we knew that the Clemson game was likely a loss before the season started. So are we kind of right where we thought we'd be? Probably. But when you win seven of your first eight games, you start to get greedy. And when you see coaching decisions that you're not happy with, and just the team playing a little uninspired, maybe because they're fatigued from having just played Miami and the travel and all that kind of stuff. But we're kind of right where we thought we would be at this point. Seven and three with our last two games against beatable teams. Yeah, I think we're spot on. I was of the impression that we probably would have won one of these two and then finished off the last two with W's and then ended up with 10 wins. Um, Now we need to win these last two to end up where I would say... 90% 90% of people that predicted for the season said we would be nine and three. Um, and we have to win these last two for that to be the case. I, I thought we would have pulled off either Miami or Georgia tech and we didn't. If you had flip flopped them, we probably would have beat Georgia tech. Like yeah. if we'd played Georgia tech first, I just feel like we would have won. Uh, but we didn't and we didn't. So there you go. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick beer break before we do our pit preview. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having, uh, I went with stouts this week to make everybody happy um, because I want to diversify away from too many IPAs and and, and double IPAs. So the Two Roads Espressway Cold Brew Coffee Stout, coffee steeped in oatmeal stout, the tagline on it is big flavors merging ahead. And this is a very good beer. It's enjoyable, especially as the seasons are starting to, to change here. It's getting pretty cold. Um, it's 20 degrees or 25 degrees the other day. So it's perfect for that. And as we're heading into the holiday season, but there wasn't a lot of coffee flavor. It's there. You can taste it, but I'm of the, you know, of the camp that if you're getting into a coffee stout, you want the coffee to really kind of, you know, punch you in the face to be really forward. And this is a little bit more muddled flavor, but it's still a very good beer. And I'd suggest it if you, if you see it around and, and you're into those sort of, of beers. All right. I'm having the fireside chat by 21st amendment out of San Francisco. It's a winter spice Dale, just 45 IBU IBUs, but 7.9% alcohol. So, it's it's got some punch to it. It's very malty, a little caramely, and for being one of the winter ales, I guess it's not as uh, flavorful as some of the other ones that I've had in the past. But it's not bad either. The fireside chat by Twenty First Amendment. I'm not crazy about it, but I'd have it again. All right, let's move on to Pittsburgh. Pitt is four and six this year, and they're two and four in the ACC. They're coached by Pat Narduzzi, as we're well aware. He is one of our favorite coaches in the ACC, I think, <laughs> after last year's uh, podium speech that he gave. And sideline wins... side antics. Oh, God. The, yeah, him on the sidelines, just throwing the clipboard, his headphones. Uh, it was embarrassing for him, quite honestly. Their wins this year have been against Youngstown State, Rice, Duke, and UVA. They have not beaten one good team. UVA is a secretly decent team 
we're going to make a solid verbal reference. But uh, no, no good wins, and UVA is by far the best one. And they lost to UNC last Thursday, the 1-8 UNC Tar Heels they lost to. So I know UNC has been playing better. They, you know, they gave Miami a run for their money right before Miami just annihilated two good teams. But losing at home to UNC is uh, not inspiring, to say the least. Pitt was projected this year in the S&P to be number 32. And I remember when we were doing our previews over the summer, we thought they would be way worse than that. Yeah, and now they're at number 92. So that's, yeah. (laughs) I mean, if they didn't, you know, they didn't get triple as bad, but it was pretty damn close. Pretty close to tripling it up there. Uh, 72nd in the offensive S&P and 94th in the defensive S&P. And they only brought back 10 starters, and just four of those starters were on defense. And there were other complications that Rory Blair got dismissed from the team, their best defensive end. Jordan Whitehead, I think, missed the first three games with some kind of suspension. So not only did they lose a ton, uh, including James Conner and Nathan Peterman, but they had you know, extraneous situations going on as well uh, and lost even more than, uh, than they thought they did. And, and the schedule wasn't forgiving. You know, Penn State, Oklahoma State, it's just they, they damn near lost to Youngstown State in the first week. No, I mean that's Polini for you. I mean that's what that's what the faux Polini does. <laughs> but the the only person that came close in terms of the major outlets to getting them right was Phil Steele. He had them at forty five, and Athlon had them at thirty one, and I told you the S and P had them at thirty two, and I think Lindy's had them at thirty four. Most people had them higher. Phil was a little bit lower, but not anywhere close to where they are now. But some of those things were were unforeseen. Good news is they do suck. So that's that's <laughs> nice. We could use a team that sucks coming into our house. Now, the problem is it's Pitt. If it were any other team, I would feel pretty good about that. But when Pitt sucks, that doesn't mean they suck against Virginia Tech. That means they give us a fucking run for our money every time. Yeah, and they're coming off of a really embarrassing loss that gives Mr. Uh, Narduzzi my favorite Narduzzi, uh, a lot of fodder to get his team amped up to go play Virginia Tech because that is embarrassing. UNC is terrible this year, and having that loss, that's just you know the the perfect inspiration to tell all the players that you know they need to get their game together. Yeah, Anthony Ratcliffe Williams went off on them last week. He returned one for a touchdown. He threw one for a touchdown, and he received, I believe, the winning touchdown. So. That was a hell of a performance by Mr. Ratliff Williams. And, hey, I love to see Pitt go down. So good for them. But you're right. It does give them ammunition to be pissed and ready to come into Lane Stadium and put up a fight. Their offense will start with they are not as bad as the defense. They're still not good. I'm looking at 88th in yards per play. And I already said 72nd in S&P. Their quarterback to start the season was Max Brown, five-star USC transfer. We talked about him over the summer. He's out for the year after an uninspiring start. And Ben DiNucci is now the guy. 6'2", 2'20", 56% completion, uh, 6.9 average, four TDs, four picks. 
not the greatest stats in the world. Just 117 quarterback rating and one rushing TD to add to those four passing TDs. No standout performances, but he did probably have his best game last Thursday against UNC. Yeah, he did. Um, I mean, he's got 234 yards rushing, so he can he can move a little bit, and you know, and it's probably at a necessity more than anything else because guess what? Um, he's 14 sacks that they've taken on him. So their offensive line, if they don't have enough problems going on, their offensive line are really not protecting. No, no. They're 98th in sacks allowed per game, 95th in TFL, so just, just about the same. And somehow, still, they're a strong rushing team. So maybe this offensive line isn't good at pass protection, but Darren Hall has been a very pleasant surprise at running back for them. He was injured for spring practice, so he kind of came a little bit out of nowhere. I think he was a pretty good recruit, but not playing in spring, he wasn't really on our radar. Like We had Kadri Olison, who was the 2015 ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year. We had Kadri Henderson, their sweep guy, and yeah. we had Chantez Moss. But we didn't have Darren Hall that we really talked about. And the last four or five games... He has been blowing up. He has nine touchdowns in his last four games and 600 yards on the season, most of which came in those four games. Uh, he's a strong, squatty type back, 5'11", 220. That's a pretty good weight for a guy that height. And he's had four touchdowns against UNC just last Thursday. So I don't know how their quarterback basically has his best game. Their running back scores four touchdowns, and they lose to a 1-8 team. But they managed to do it. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. And then, you know, Quadre Olison uh, has, what, five rushing touchdowns as well. So he's been really productive. And then when you move over to... The wide receivers, eh, it's I in my mind it's kind of Jester. I guess it's Jester Way, Jester We, Jester. I think Wea. it's Jester Wea. I think it's, it's Wea. Wea. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, leads the team in receiving. He's got thirty-one catches, um, about five hundred yards, and four TDs. And that's really, if you had to bring up four names, those are really the only four that you kind of have, and everybody else is yeah. a, a a pecking order below that. Yeah, he leads their team in yardage. And he has 31 receptions. I mean, Cam has more than double that, I think. Or yeah. It's, it, they do not complete a lot of passes on this team. Uh, the slot guy I thought was worth a mention because he has the most receptions on the team at 37. Just one touchdown. His name's Rafael Arrojo Lopes. I, I got that completely wrong, but it's a difficult high seed. <laughs> Rafael is what we're going to go for there. Rafi. And, we'll just go with yeah. Rafi. <laughs> and, and then Maurice Fafrench. Yes, his last name is F F R E N C H. I thought it was a misspelling on Football Study Hall, and so I went to ESPN, and it was spelled the same way. And then I realized it's actually for French. Yeah, and it's it's for French. I don't I don't know. I guess it's probably just French when you pronounce it, but it's spelled for French. So yeah, it's got two F's like at the beginning. Um, and then I, uh, the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, but the tight end, Chris Clark, is the last guy I was going to mention, just because. He was that high-end recruit that transferred from UCLA and ended up coming to Pitt after just basically one game for UCLA. Yeah, And he hasn't really lived up to the hype here either. Yeah, and then I was just going to finish it with, I thought it was interesting that, um, at least on the S&P stats, 
um, Connolly stuff that they're relatively efficient on offense, meaning that they're getting the yardage, expected yardage uh, on downs that they should be. So, you know, a certain number of uh, yards that you should be getting on first down, second down, third down. Uh, but amongst the worst in the entire country on um, explosiveness, which is big plays um, and yards per play. So um, hopefully we can not fall into the trap of getting them a lot of yards per play, like an 80-yard pass or a 60-yard pass against a triple option team. So hopefully we are not the exception to the rule of what they've been doing this year. I am with you 100% on that because I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball a bit. And if Danucci plays well, this offense could be dangerous in this game. And they do run a lot of wide receiver and DB sweeps. They use their defensive backs, including Whitehead, to run a lot of running plays and sweeps. I mean, almost half of their receivers and two or three of their defensive backs have gotten carries in this yeah. offense. They just give it to whoever they think can make a play. It's kind of interesting, actually. Well, if you think about the games that we've lost, whether it be Miami, Clemson, in fact, I was going back through today, or Georgia Tech, our problem is explosive offenses, not efficient offenses, right? So if people are efficient, that is a perfect setup for us. Teams that have the ability to, you know, go over the top or or drop a sixty, you know, yard play on us for a touchdown, that's not what we need to be dealing with right now. But people that are efficient, that are usually getting yardage, we can hold them to a yard or two less than they're normally getting. So it actually sets up pretty well for us, I think. Yeah, the only guy that worries me is Jester Weah. Right uh, after last week with those two long plays, he is a very fast player mm-hmm. and could get loose in our secondary. So we need them to step up back there. Yep. Let's move on to the defense. 105th in yards per play. 94th in the S&P. 114th in yards per pass attempt. And 107th in opposing QB rating. They're slightly better against rushing in traditional stats, but in advanced stats, that's actually their worst side of the ball. If you go to S&P, I think they're 100th in rush defense. Yeah. So And 64th in pass defense. Yeah. Yeah, so it's weird because the traditional stats all say their pass defense is worse, but the advanced stats say their rushing defense is worse, which means the whole defense just stinks. It's <laughs> about 100th in the nation on average across all the metrics. So it's it's not a good defense. This is the perfect opportunity for our offense to get back on track. And if they can't get on track against this defense, it ain't happening. Yeah, and it really comes down to – of the team, of the defensive players, um, the only people that stood out—I'm not even going to go into a couple of these names because there's no chance I can get there. There's three people that stand out, four maybe if you're stretching it, and three of them are linebackers. So um, Adawu, uh, who leads the team in tackles, ten and a half tackles for a loss, four sacks, eight run stuffs, a forced fumble, Brightwell. Another linebacker, 54 tackles, second in the team in tackles, five tackles for a loss, a sack, um, and an interception and a forced fumble. And then Jordan Whitehead, who we did preview uh, on on the season, um, but he was out for a little bit, and he still has 40 or so tackles, but only kind of one interception. So he hasn't been exceptionally productive in comparison to what we thought he would be this year. Um, so... It's 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 thin in terms of at least stat lines and talent that you see out there um, from my perspective. Yeah, their defensive line, I'd say, is 
a bad group. They're 103rd in tackles for loss per game. Again, in the hundreds, in another category on the defense. Uh, Dwayne Hendricks was a guy we talked about this summer. He's a defensive end, and he has just also not lived up to the hype at all. Former four-star guy, all the physical traits, and just three tackles for loss this season so far. And he's played in a lot of games, so I don't know what's going on there. The linebackers... They're their best group. I, I would, you know, yeah. you kind of indicated that with what you what you said, and I'd agree with that. Udowu is is a good player, and Elijah Zeiss, another linebacker, he was looking good in that UNC game, and he like threw his shoulder out or like separated his shoulder in the game, and was he went back in and toughened it out. So I, I don't know what his status is going to be for this upcoming week, but Zeiss is a good player too. Yeah, uh, we'll see if how limited he may or may not be this upcoming week. And then their DBs, you got Whitehead, and Maddox is also back, although he's questionable for this upcoming game. And other than Maddox, I think Maddox is the only senior on this defense. Yeah. And Whitehead hasn't been as dynamic, as you mentioned. I think they're very susceptible back there. And hopefully, you know, Josh can can get comfortable again and make some plays, get some confidence early because – there's, uh, you know, there's some guys that you can definitely complete some passes against here. Dane Jackson, probably the best corner, has eight pass breakups. That is pretty good. But all overall, this is not a good secondary. If you put three wide out there, someone should get open. Well, this is gonna this is gonna be a litmus test for where Josh Jackson's headspace is at, right? If he is, you know, I. I'll use this one. Maybe French will listen to this because he hates Top Gun so much. But you know where, you know where uh, when Maverick gets spooked and he's up there and nothing's like really happening, but he completely freezes up. That started to happen in the second half of the last game. It had been building over the last three games with Josh Jackson, where things the wheels were kind of looking a little shaky. Um, This is a game where he should be able to one, have some time to pass because their defensive line is not that good. Granted, their linebackers are good, so it depends on what the rush scheme is that they're using. Um, but their D defensive backs are not great, so there should be open players uh, out there. And if he is freezing up, then we know that we got a problem. And um, it's not a problem in any other sense than he's just playing to his age, to his you know tenure within the program. Yeah, and I'm not by any means saying Josh shouldn't start this game. I think because of the defense we're going up against and because of Josh's skill set, he gives us the best chance to win this game still. But I am definitely not opposed to getting A.J. Bush a package of plays or a series of downs. And I know the old saying, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. But a package of plays where A.J. doesn't inhibit your offense. I I think he could only help... He provided a little bit of a spark against Georgia Tech and just to throw their defense off even more. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea. We'll see if it happens. I have a note, one last note on Pitt's defense. 29 plays of 30 yards or more given up this year. So that's basically three pretty big plays a game that they're giving up. That's 15th worst in college football. I really hope we can get three to four, you know, 30 yard, 40 yard plays. Yeah. That would, it would be nice to see some explosion from this offense again. Yeah. I think the interesting part to think about 
which we all need to take a step back is how many big plays have we had? How many different receivers have made big plays for us? Right. The vast majority of them have been Cam Phillips that have made big, long kind of, you know, 25 yard plus plays. Savoy's had a couple. Kuma had an accidental one last game. And then we've thrown a bunch at Clark and he's caught none of them. And that's not maybe his fault, but nothing's really happened there. Yeah. We don't have big play receivers and maybe I don't, I'm not putting blame on the receiver or the passer, but it's really just been Cam Phillips that we've had the long plays with. So I, I hope so. I want to see that. I'm excited. I like Brandon Clark's speed. I like Kuma, the way he's playing at the intermediary routes, you know, the 10 to 20 yard routes. He's starting to get a little bit more comfortable there. Um, but we got a ways to go on that side of things to take the top off of uh, off of defenses. And right now, I, I'm not sure we're there outside of Phillips. All right, let's do a quick period break before we do our picks and uh, finish it out. All right, what are you having over there? I'm drinking the Victory Golden Monkey. Most people should be aware of this beer. It's a very powerful beer in terms of alcohol. It's 9.5%, and it's a triple. It's a recognizable label and a recognizable beer for a lot of people out there, I'm sure. It's a good mass-manufactured triple. That's what I'll say. It's not blowing me away. I used to love it when I was younger because I'm like, oh, 9.5%, you'll get really fucked up really quick <laughs> and now it's just like i do enjoy it uh just it's not what i'm always reaching for but i said on the previous podcast and i do like a lot of victories beers and this is one of them so i'm enjoying it what are you having robbie i am drinking a beer i hadn't seen before is also a victory beer and we did not plan this it just so happened uh we're looking for a victory this week yeah or i don't know what we we're looking for from last week so uh, it's the Storm King Imperial Stout. Uh, this one is 9.1 Pennsylvania, as you know, Victory Brewing Company. Um, it's not great, actually. It's fine. It's got a weird, almost soapiness to 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 it that I can't that really put my good. finger on. <laughs> and well, you know, when you think Imperial Stout, you think you know, a really strong kind of, you know, stout that's um, going to be chock full of flavor. And I don't think this is. I, I think it's okay. a little bit on the weak side in comparison to what I would be expecting. And I understand there's a bunch of alcohol in this thing, but um, the, the stout portion of it is not really coming through as well as I would have hoped. So I'm a little bit disappointed with it because I like victory. I think uh, Dirt Wolf, one of their double IPAs, is one of my favorite beers. I love that. I go everywhere I go that they have it. I, I try and ha- I try and have one of those. So I was a little disappointed with this. Maybe other people will like it. All right, let's get into these picks. We're going to fire through these as quickly as we can. The line for the Virginia Tech game is 15 and a half. We're the favorites at home against Pitt. Just by the way I said that, Robbie, <laughs> you have to know what I'm thinking with this line. Yeah. I'm going to go Pitt. Yeah, I'm going pit too. Fifteen and a half after the last two weeks that we've had. I that seems crazy when you consider the history of Virginia Tech pit and how all these games seem to end up within a score. 
within 10 points at the very least. I, I, I meant to go back and look at the history today, but just off the top of my head, I, I think the last four or five have all ended within a one yeah. score or 10 points at the most. So I'm taking Pitt. I, if finding a way for us to actually win this game by 15 and a half, like I, I don't know what that would be because I think Pitt's going to have a couple bigger plays and get in the end zone a couple times at minimum. And that means that we have to score 30-plus. Well, and even- yeah, absolutely. And we need to incentivize the players. The only thing, we're, like, oh, they're going out there and playing. First of all, the the commentary of what happened leading up to the Georgia Tech game was not good if you listened to any of the coaches talk about it, including Bud Foster. They, they said they weren't on their game. And... You know, it's basically the only thing that we're playing for since now the 10 wins are off the table. Yeah, I guess you, if you want to include a bowl game, then it's on the table still, which was their re, it was their revised goal is senior day. That's it. So, yeah. Well, senior day should matter, mm-hmm. especially, like I said, when you got four of them on the offensive line, you got a couple of them on the defense in the secondary, you know, so it's, it, it should be meaningful and these guys should come out and they should play hard. <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't mean I think we're going to win by 16 points and cover right. this spread. That's for sure. I just think with Pitt, we've been burned too many times with crappy Pitt teams playing us tough and beating us. So yeah. I got to take Pitt. I, I do think that we're going to pull this victory off. I, I hesitate to predict at all with what's happened the last two weeks, but I agree. I, we should win this game on senior day at home. We should. Mm-hmm. Next game, UVA at Miami. Miami is 19.5-point favorites, and they're at home again. They Their season lined up really well for them. They got through all of their away games early, and they got a lot of home coming coming back in. I... So Miami, this is a lot's been made of this over the last few days. If you pay attention to you know just the landscape of college football, so Miami has four turnovers in the last four games, and that luck's going to run out at some point. You know, turnovers are half I think skill and half just pretty luck. sure three of those turnovers were ours, <laughs> right? No, they have four turnovers every game the last four games. Sixteen, oh, oh, sixteen oh, oh, oh. turnovers the last four games. Oh, yeah, they kept putting up on the game last weekend turnover chain like it was a stat Like because yeah. they kept getting them. Well, their turnover margin, margin meaning what you have versus the teams that you're playing on the year is 15. So they have Jeez. 15 more turnovers than all their opponents uh, in, in this season. At some point, that's going to turn around. If you're averaging that much more than your opponents, that leads to a lot of points on the board. I think UVA... Yeah, whatever. They lose by two touchdowns, something along those lines. I don't think they're going to lose by, yeah, you know, twenty plus. Yeah, I'm with you. It, this game is, uh, it's at noon, so I I'm going to go UVA as well. The, after the last two weeks, I can't imagine Miami is going to be up for a noon game against UVA enough to cover that spread. Next game, Georgia Tech at Duke. Georgia Tech seven point favorites. I'm taking Georgia Tech. Who do you got? No, same. Next game, Q's at Louisville. Louisville's 13-point favorites. This was a tough one for me. I'll ask you first. Who do you got? Syracuse. I'm going to go Syracuse, too. 
Next game, NC State at Wake. And Wake is one and a half point favorites. You're loving this now. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, well, the thing was, I picked Q's last week, and I was put in a rock and a hard place because I had the Carrier Dome versus my Demon Deacons, and I took the Carrier Dome mistakenly. That quarterback for Wake, John Walford, that guy can flat out play. They even lost Dorch, and he is still killing it. Uh, I'm taking Wake. This is a Vegas nose kind of line to me. And I'm going to take them, and I feel bad for not taking them last week. Yeah, I'm going to agree. NC State, the the season's over. It doesn't really matter for them. They don't have much to play for. And Wake, I think, uh, has the ability to get up, and they have a good quarterback. I did think that NC State beating Boston College was a really solid win because that wasn't an easy game to win. Boston College has been rolling, and they held on, and they won. And the last game we're going to pick is the – Big Ten's game of the week, Michigan at Wisconsin. Wisconsin is seven and a half point favorites at home against Michigan. And I actually didn't. Do you know what Michigan is ranked in the committee rankings? Did they get ranked this week? Uh, they are 20, somewhere between 22 and 24. I can't remember. I think I want to say they're 24. Nah, it's somewhere between 22 and 24. Boise State's right, Wisconsin 25. Wisconsin is five. Yeah. And then. Michigan is 24. Okay. I was I got it. There we go. So who are you taking? Uh Michigan. Uh I think the way college football has played out this season is indicative of what's going to happen in this game where people the Georgia Auburn game, the Notre Dame Miami game, all of these things, the Alabama almost Mississippi State game, you know, college football is crazy this year and I think Michigan gets up. College game day is there for this as well. Um, I know it's in what Madison, um, but I think um, I think Michigan pulls it out just because college football. That's it. I like that assessment, and I kind of agree with it. The problem is we've picked every single game the same, so now I feel like I should go the the opposite. Uh, I do like Michigan's defense, and Wisconsin seems to keep losing guys on the defensive side of the ball and just putting in a new walk on. And then they just play amazing. Uh, I'll take Wisconsin because they're at home. Seven and a half is an ugly line, and I'm doing it a little bit to be different because, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. But I'll take Wisconsin. I think they're very good, and this is the first test they're going to get. But I think, like Miami, they might take that test and just shove it right back up everyone's you-know-what. Yeah. Well. Harbaugh will take his shirt off or something outrageous, you know. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I just we cruised, really through, the guys... we cruised through the picks. We, we, I mean, we went fast. We 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 tried. We tried to go as fast as we could. I think if we can just get the offensive line like in a position this week to help us run the football, just maybe 150 yards rushing. That's all I'm asking. Four yards a carry. Something we haven't done since ODU. If they could do those two things, 150 yards and four yards to carry, I think we'd win this game pretty handily. I just don't know if that's going to happen. What the, the run game hasn't been there, and the offense in general has been so sparse and can't get anything going in any kind of rhythm. This is the week for it to change. You've got to get things going because I'm okay with losing to Pitt. I know it wouldn't be good, and our fan base would probably have a meltdown. But it would be a lot worse if we lose to UVA. 
So all I want to see in this game, even if we don't win, is us getting on track a little, getting in a little bit of a rhythm, something to build off. Because right now I don't know what we're building off of. No, I think we, it feels, some of it's competition, some of it's the level of competition that we moved into, but I feel like we've regressed, not progressed in what we're trying to do. And, And that's completely, I'm not mad about it, I'm not emotional about it, but I honestly think that we've regressed from where we were. We played WVU. WVU is a good team. Like they are a good, like they're not a great team, but that's a good solid team. And we got that W. Um, And, you know, over time, I don't think that we have improved as a team. I think we've actually gotten a little bit worse. Yeah, it definitely seems like that right now. We did play two pretty good teams on the road, and we shouldn't let that cloud the way we stomped UNC, who just beat Pitt. You know, we we need to have a little bit of perspective. And though that week of practice before Georgia Tech was screwed from the start yeah. with that plane situation getting back, and, and we I was trying to put yeah. I was trying to put some lipstick on a pig last week, saying maybe it brings the guys together. But losing a day, any week. The worst possible week you could lose a day would be against Georgia Tech, and that's when we lost it. Yeah, and that one, that game, Georgia Tech, I would put as much on the coaches as I put on the players. Right. That's that's just it. it, it and we talked about it earlier. So that that can't happen, right? You can't you can't be making those types of decisions that make it harder for our players to win. The, our players are already struggling they, with yeah. enough. The coaches are supposed to put them in a better position to win not a worse, and we put them in a harder position to win last week. Let's hope they come out and coach their best game of the season on Senior Day and put those seniors in a good position this week. You can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. You can email us any questions or comments. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. And write us a review on iTunes if you have the time. Also, go to the website, 2DVT.com is where we post all of the podcasts, the picks, the stats, um, and you can see how Josh is progressing through the season. Uh, And as Robbie said, more like regressing at this point, but it's all up there. So uh, make sure to check that out as well. Yeah, the other thing is um, we just got approved, and we're waiting on it. It's supposed to be like a two-week kind of period for the process, but I think we're going to be up on Spotify pretty soon. So we went through that application process and just got approved. So... Um, I know that's more random listening than it is anything else, but um, I think we should be posting up there. We already are posting up there. It's just a matter of when we have our own kind of Spotify page. Yep, and please forgive any uh, issues with this podcast as my computer just went on the fritz like 30 minutes before we were supposed to record, so I'm using a, a backup old computer, so there's not going to be any music Bear with us until uh, until we're back up and running full full throttle. Until next time, when we're recapping a senior day win against Pitt, go Hokies. <laughs>